Hal Barker of the Miami Herald Raid. It's no breakthrough in movie making, but it's not done either. Tampa Bay Times critic Hal Lipper called it a hit movie. Hit, but slow. And Amazon user Jeff Holcher said it could have been better if liberals would have left politics out of it. On this episode of Ruined Childhoods, we decided the fate of hiding out. Which one will it be? Greetings, Starfighters. It's time to time travel back to 1987. You ready, John? Whoa. Tubular. My whole body feels crazy from all the time travel. Like you're surfing because that was popular in 1987. It, Yeah, it definitely was. There was a... Uh, there was a lot of media going back to the beach. Everybody was watching Back, back to, the to the Beach. Back to the Beach, surfing people, bird. Yeah, uh, people were coming up with the idea for Point Break. Point Break, I'm sure, was that that was ruminating at that point. There was a North Shore was a a surfing movie of that of that year. All right, so we're talking about surfing. We're sur- we're riding a wave back to <laughs> 1987. So, which not our first time back. No, not at all. So the first thing before we talk about our 1987 movies, which by the way, I really enjoyed talking about Three Men and a Baby and Three Men and a Little Lady. But uh, we're going to talk about Hiding Out. But first, for anybody who listened to the last episode of the podcast, uh, we had recorded that before the world really got turned upside down. The world was already on its side because of coronavirus and, and everything else culminating in the days the now we're I mean you know weeks of of protest and yes. um activism absolutely it it's been really encouraging to see uh, as terrible as it has been to see how bad things have gotten in terms of police and government response. It's been encouraging to see changes being made. Uh, uh, The the time that we're recording this, it looks like the Minneapolis Police Department may be going through a reboot. Yeah. So uh, that is really encouraging. And that's what protesting is all about. Is is bringing forth change. It's just to affect change. And yeah. And if anybody listened to the last episode, I recorded something at the beginning about a new project that Dan and I are working on, and the goal of this, uh, although it is something that is very much in line with Dan, what you and I talk about all the time, the Police Academy movies, it's it's really intended to help signal boost organizations that are fighting police brutality and also um, organizations that support and uh, and raise money for black causes. Yeah. And, you know, this is this is a project that John and I have been talking about for for a long time. And, yeah. you know, we we have our we have our lives outside of ruined childhoods. Would that it were so simple that we could 
just devote our lives <laughs> to podcasting. Sorry to to quote to yeah. quote Hail Caesar. Um, my favorite line in that movie: the Coen Brothers Hail Caesar, yeah. not the Anthony Michael Hall Hail oh, Caesar. Yes, no, absolutely. And when things were really coming to a head, and we were going back and forth, and I know my thought, um, you know, after after. The, f- the first couple of days of protests and after seeing the the police response and kind of the division between law enforcement and the people that are supposed to be protected and served by law enforcement, I thought to myself, I said, I the only cops, the only police that I could look at right now and not feel upset are like are the police academy cops. Like I want to like yeah. Mahoney and Jones, Hightower. Tackleberry, Hooks, Callahan, Fackler. I know I could go on. I'm not, I'm stopping myself. I'm st- <laughs> I am stopping myself. You stopped yourself at around 10 of That's them? impressive because you know I could have gone on. So you can even look at Captain Harris and Mauser. So anyway, but to get back to the point and, you know, just thinking about these movies, I know we'll, we'll talk about this on pod Lisa Castamy is a, you know, a pretty big theme of, of a few of the movies is building a, a stronger relationship between the police and the community. Right. And if you listen to our episode of this podcast that we did about citizens on patrol uh, last May, because we were doing our may the fourth be with you, the fourth installments of franchises, yes. which was a weird idea. We know. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> The the whole theme of Police Academy 4 is all about the community relations and listening to the people and involving the people in the community and working together. And as silly of a movie as it is, it has a great message to it. And that's what we're hoping to do with a silly podcast. Yeah, we want to kind of shine a light. And uh, interestingly, you know, the original Police Academy does tackle some, it's not, no pun no tackleberry pun intended there. No tackleberry pun. It does yeah. take on some, uh, you know, racial issues. It sure does. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's so not. It's not like we're trying to find a connection here, but we are. We're hoping. Like we know, there's a lot of love out there for Police Academy, and we're looking forward to talking to people who have been involved in in the series, but also hearing from people who have a love and appreciation for it. So we want to, uh, first of all, encourage you to visit podleaseacastomy.com, which is where you'll see some uh, tabs where you can donate to organizations such as Black Lives Matter and Campaign Zero. There's a lot of different organizations you can donate to. And there's also a form that you can fill out, uh, just a short thing uh, for your location where you can, it gives you the information about the representatives in your area and how to contact them. Mm -hmm. It's it's just a really crucial time right now to be doing whatever you can. And Dan, I know that uh, in my household, we're doing things personally, and I'm sure that you're doing things personally on your end. In addition to that, Dan, you are a school teacher in Seattle and we're also a school teacher in the Bronx. Not that I need to tell you your biography, uh, but that is a huge link for you and high school age and actually a little bit older probably because of your time in New York, right? Uh, Yeah, yeah. 
I have some former students who are, you know, college, uh, you know, second year. Yeah, so young voters, people who, uh, you know, uh, they need somebody to talk to sometimes. And you are somebody that people come have a history of coming to when they want to talk about things. And I think that that is very crucial. We also both have young children. So this is a very interesting time in the things that we are uh, communicating to our kids. Yeah. And uh, just one one final thing to add, because I, I and I can share some experience as to how we're addressing things in our household. Also, for those of you who love the police academy series or maybe you've just seen one police academy like you've just seen police academy four and you love it we want to kind of hear we don't just want to talk about our own experiences we don't just want to talk to the people who made these movies but we want to hear from you we want to hear how you discovered police academy who is your favorite character what's your favorite one you know Whatever you want to tell us, please. You can send us an email at podlisacastomy at gmail.com. Leave us a voicemail by calling 951-LASSARD, L-A-S-S-A-R-D. Both that email and the phone number are on podlisacastomy.com. Please let us know your thoughts about anything having to do with Police Academy. Maybe you collected the toys. Yeah, maybe. I know I did. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You you did. I certainly had some. Absolutely. Yeah. So in addition to that, I, I think that it's it's important not only to protest uh, if if you are in an, find the opportunity to be able to do such a thing, also reach out to the institutions in your area. Try to find out where you can support organizations and businesses that are owned by people of color. You know, in the bigger cities, there are a lot more resources to find those things, but be sure to ask around where you live. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, so in somewhat related news, uh, this past weekend, we showed Chloe, who is six years old, uh, The Sound of Music for the first time. And oh, we weren't, you know, I think a popular thing is to... Uh, y- stop the movie at a certain point, like stop the movie when Maria comes back. I mean, not just because it's a long movie, it's almost three hours, but also so to avoid the conversation, of avoid having to explain what Nazis are. And I mean, if, if Chloe had been restless or had not wanted to continue watching it, that would have been one thing, but she wanted to continue watching it. And I was like, you know what? This is not a bad kind of, entry level yeah like here let's start let's start at the very beginning you see with that it's a very good place to start yeah yeah when you hile you begin with h-i-t no sorry uh but just showing her the flags and it's funny because at first you know before you really see the swastika you see the austrian flag is hanging in uh captain von trapp's house and and chloe asks oh what flag is that that's the Austrian flag. And kind of so huh. I said, I said, you know, Captain Von Trapp is very proud of being Austrian and is very protective of Austria. But there's some people who want to let another country take over. And then we right. got and then when she saw the swastika, she's like, what's that? And I was like, yeah, when you see that, that's bad people. 
where that yes and we've i mean we've had conversations there's no gray area. No, no 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 there's no like you know get their perspective walk a mile in their shoes profile them for the times there's you know it's it's if they have that you don't need to ask you don't need to guess that's a book you can judge by its cover yes so check out podlisacastomy.com. This isn't going to be out right away. We're going to be taking our time to compile material to put this together. It might be months. It might be a year. We don't know yet, but we are we are doing this right. We're doing yeah. it because it's something that we want to do for fun reasons, but also because we know that it gives us an opportunity to... Uh, help out organizations that could use any more signal boosting than they already have. Yeah, this is uh, it, this started as something we wanted to do. Now it's something we need to do. Yes, that's right. So we are working on it. We appreciate your contributions, your input, your help. If you can if you have connections to anybody who is involved in the series, if like Marion Ramsey is your second cousin, hey, hook us yeah. up. Yeah. Nicely done, John. On this episode, we have a fantastic guest with us. Thank you for joining us, Keith Coogan. Absolutely. We're we're so excited. We're gonna talk about hiding out. When's last yeah. when's the last time you talked about hiding out? Comes up comes up now and then. And I did print okay. for autograph conventions. I had printed the poster and two shots with me and John. Uh-huh. And um they do great. I have, you know, I have there's a really healthy Hiding out little fan base. It was the last theatrical Delarenis Entertainment Group release before they went bankrupt. We were talking about we were talking about yeah. them a little bit on the last episode. So uh, wow, yeah. they were shooting. What were they shooting concurrently? Either just before us or after us, but not really released. Was um, the Shadow Stevens Jay Leno movie, which was a ninety-minute chase movie. <laughs> I forget the name of Whoa. it. It's so bad, but. Got to meet Shadow Shadow Stevens. Wow, Shadow Stevens—that's a name I, I haven't heard in a while. To Shadow Stevens got that smooth, no, buttery not in voice. A long time. Of Shadow Stevens. Oh yeah, <laughs> Shadow Stevens. This month we are celebrating movies from 1987 because it is our belief that that's like the most fun year in movies. Excellent. Yeah, and in a lot of ways, thanks to you, you were in two movies in this incredibly fun year. It was tough to come out opposite inner space with Adventures in Babysitting, but Touchstone put put a lot of advertisement. Uh, I opened up the LA Times on opening day, and we had a full color double page, the middle spread of freaking LA Times. And all the reviews and blog, you wow. know, that huge Drew Strews and art. I was blown away by it and how many theaters it was in. We were very pleased. Today, a movie like that would never open in the summer. Right. And then Hiding Out is tied into Adventures of Babysitting because I'm doing Adventures of Babysitting and I'm you know, becoming really good friends with Anthony Rapp. And um, we're in his hotel room and on his coffee table is a script called Adult Education. Huh. And I go, what's that? And actors are rapacious. They'll be like, be all over anybody's part and call their agent immediately after hearing a friend is up or something. And he goes, oh, it's this, you know, movie, but it's the character's too much like Daryl. So he told his agent he's not interested. And I said, do you mind if I call? Huh. I was open about it. Do you mind if I call the agent? And he goes, yeah, go for it. And during filming of Adventure of Babysitting, between going from Chicago, uh, Toronto for two months to Chicago for a couple of weeks, several weeks, we stopped in New York for press. During the movie, they had us do pre-press because print has a six-month lead time. 
and we were shooting in January, February, March, and the movie came out in July. So we had to get on press quick. So while I'm in New York, I auditioned for what became Hiding Out. Awesome. And the rest is history. Very cool. And I walked into the room with, with you know, producer, director, and casting director and stuff, a horseshoe around a table. And I'm reading, and I'm supposed to be really fast and funny. And I, and I actually paused, and I had really big balls. And I held up the script, and I go, you know, teenagers don't talk like this. It's very writery. And they were, you know, kind of all blush-faced. And they go, oh, well, this is Marty, one of the producers. He's also the writer. <laughs> So in front of the oh writer, who's, you know, part of the purse strings and everything, I dis and they actually said when I was cast and I had to go back for screen tests and stuff, they uh, said, you'll sit down and rework the dialogue to be how kids talk, at least more so. But I also knew that Patrick was a ridiculous nerd. I don't, ridiculous nerd. I have a lot of respect for Patrick. And Patrick ends up being accepted by the the cool kids. Yeah. I, I, well, here, what, I'm going to launch into the uh, the synopsis and so that everybody can follow along with who we're talking about when we say Patrick or Maxwell Hauser. Yes. So uh, I'm going to make this quick. And then, Keith, you can uh, let me know all the things that I got wrong and all the things that maybe, you know, maybe weren't that way originally or Ooh. ways that uh, or, or anything that you might remember. So. John Cryer plays Andrew Marensky, a stockbroker who unknowingly, along with two colleagues, Ahern and Rodriguez, assists in an inside trading operation for a powerful mob boss. Things get dicey after one of his colleagues is killed by the mob, and Andrew has to go under protection from the FBI until he can testify. After the mob tracks him down and thwarts the FBI, Andrew has to go on the run, and he ends up in the hometown of his Aunt Lucy and her son Patrick, played by Cryer's own mother and the extremely talented Keith Coogan, respectively. Ooh, that, you got that part right. You like that? You like that? <laughs> Under the clever guise of high school student Maxwell Hauser, Andrew, a.k.a. Max, attempts to lay low until he can testify as he's on the run from the mob and the FBI, for if the FBI finds him, it'll lead the mob straight to him. What Andrew, a.k.a. Max, doesn't expect is that he quickly becomes the most popular kid at school, <laughs> easily winning the favor of super cool classmate Clinton... Very cool. I loved Clinton. Ultimately leading up to his own election for class president, a position he wants anything but to win. All the while, he wins the heart of Ryan and boosts the social status for his cousin Patrick. When the mob finally tracks him down, Max and his new friends, especially the ex-boxer high school janitor, the hitmen are thwarted and Max is able to testify in court, ultimately finding a new life in witness protection, a situation that ultimately works in his favor. So... What are some of the big things that I missed, Keith? Wow. That he, yes, he was unknowingly for the mob pushing junk bonds, but he knew damn well that they were junk bonds. Uh, so I think that he knew there was some money laundering and he, as long as he was getting his commission, that's where it, it begins morally kind of ambiguous. Um, seeing uh, Baker, Bakey get murdered in front of him in the diner, yeah. that really ups the stakes. Weird mm. movie to combine thriller with comedy yeah and i might say this is part of a trend of movies and you know we have to go back to freaky friday but they you know remade freaky friday we had like father like son and big and movie there was a trend of movies where they were swapping and an adult was in the high school experience right. later on they did 17 again and 18 again and zach efron and george burns there was a lot of stuff throughout the years that's always been a, a a fun trope for to hang a plot on. 
Uh, but hiding out doesn't rely on magic. This was the way no that those do. I love that you said it first. <laughs> it doesn't rely on magic. It relies on the magic of John Cryer's brand of having a youthful face and mm-hmm. always playing a lot younger. And he, so when he produced the movie, by the way, he put it together. Oh. The writers, the producers, distribution um, took him, you know, a couple of years. It was tough. In his biography, he says 1987. I don't really want to talk about it. Enough said. Moving on. He, he said it was kind of heartbreaking to see it not get a huge release and, you know, it was tough and audiences took a while. I love that, you know, people, people enjoy it. But it was a weird mix of that thriller and comedy that kind of works for the movie, but it does jar, jar you back and forth. I love those types of movies, the like more action comedies, thriller comedies. Yeah. And I love. Uh, that he takes on the teachers and that they take the, that thriller, you know, and the hitman coming for him. One of the greatest hitman with a great case of vitiligo on his face oh, yeah. um, coming after him. <laughs> with the Drac- Dracula hit That weird Dracula great. hairdo. It's so great. Yeah. <laughs> How many hitmen yeah, were- has that guy played? Oh my goodness. Uh, what's his name? Uh, something Cotton. Um, Joe's Co- Joe Cotton or something Cotton. Yeah. Um, yeah. James Cotton. I can't remember. And sweetest, of course, the hit men are always the sweetest guys on the set oh, to yeah. hang around with, <laughs> have coffee and donuts with. Totally. <laughs> Shot um, in Wilmington, North Carolina. Same high school as the high school in Dream a Little Dream. Oh, no way. Or Blue Velvet. Um, huh. We shot and were in the areas where they said in Blue Velvet when the grandma's like, don't go down to 4th Street or whatever. So we're shooting in all these other lo- same locations as previous De Laurentiis movies, including the sound stages, which were former warehouses or airport hangars. It was near the airport, had tons of bad sound, pigeons living in the roof. There were a lot of sound issues. The sound stages were, uh, for all practical purposes, just you know warehouses. And um, it was a shot quick, probably two months, two and a half months in uh, in wilmington and in boston they did a week in boston to sell the boston right. and his accent kind of goes in and out throughout the movie it starts oh, kind of hot who cares and then by the time he gets down to uh where his cousin like is delaware accent's yeah. gone. he's yeah. adapting he's hiding out he's got to really sell it. yeah accent and all he's hiding out. so it was adult education and it was leaning on that he's got to go back to high school and they changed the title to hiding out when did it turn to hiding Our out? crew shirts Crew shirts after the wrap party said still said adult education. Yeah. So sometime between editing and distribution. I always find that stuff really fascinating. I mm. guess adult education oh, yeah. sounds a little too risque for a PG thirteen release. Totally. It sounds like cutting class or yeah. and one of those bad, you know, losing it. Yeah, losing <laughs> yeah. it. I have to give hiding losing out it. a lot of credit for acknowledging like your character acknowledges the creepiness factor for a stockbroker dating a high school student. And so does uh, pa- uh, so does uh, Maxwell because they really lead him down to like building a relationship and a friendship. And then the, this, the moment where you go, all right, if you kissed her now, I wouldn't blame him. Yeah. And she leans in and he goes, I, I can't. Yeah. And they wait until she's in college. And, and that's so I, it's funny. It is kind of creepy. And anything you look back in the 80s has a Thor's a homo moment or an inappropriate age moment. Um, that, I mean, Jennifer Connelly was lusted after since she was, you know, just turned a teenager. Yeah, yeah no, yeah. Hiding Out did a really good job of 
actually acknowledging it, which you don't see the acknowledgement happen all the time. Now, it's fun to play with Beth Ayers on the side because she was currently in a soap and I was the goofy sidekick to John. So she was the goofy sidekick to um, Annabeth. And so we'd pal around (laughs) on the side. And, And just to confirm, Andrew is supposed to be 28, right? Oh, sure. Yeah. There's a line that's about him uh, almost 30. He's like going to be 30 well, soon. Because I, I think at one point he looks at like there's a picture of the class of 1977. And he, I I don't know. I guess I've just always assumed that. But uh, my last viewing, I didn't catch where he actually says like, oh, hey, I'm 28. So I didn't know if that was. Yeah. Yeah. It don't matter. He's an adult. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> And she a child, and she's a really yeah. smart one who probably advanced in grades, so she's younger than her classmates. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a good point. She's a smart cookie. Yeah. I I, she's a smart I love cookie. the I, I love the scene with her dad when he's like, yeah, helping totally. her with taxes. That's so good. I was gonna say oh, I that. love that. I love that scene. He still got the nervousness of meeting the dad, and he orders a scotch, and he's like, <laughs> "No." Uh, I love what he does. A few of those, you know, Maxwell. Oh no. Or um, what school did he go to? Cornell. Cornell High right. School. Yeah, that's it. He's so good. <laughs> He's very funny at that. I, I have a crazy theory about, and that involves a totally separate movie, but I've come to the conclusion that in the universe of Mrs. Doubtfire, Daniel Hillard, as a young actor, auditioned for Hiding Out, and that's where he got the trick of how to come up with his name of Mrs. Doubtfire. Oh, looking at the closest thing and <laughs> reading the words on <laughs> oh, it. That's great. <laughs> Because these are the things That's I think great. about when I don't want to think about reality. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. No, I, I love the whole Maxwell Hauser guys. And it's like, how is nobody seeing oh, through great. that? Or at least making the connection of like, it never calls back. It Nobody ever questions it. It just works. He's brilliant. It does. It, and nobody ever calls it back later. Like it's a big, big deal. And he picks Maxwell Hauser and nobody even questions it, it later. They put it on damn run for scoot suit and president signs. Yeah. Like there's no scene <laughs> where Quill, the there's late... no scene in the office where someone looks at the can of coffee beans and is like, oh, hey, like that kid. Huh. Yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> Mr. Mr. Lessig or the guidance counselor discovers it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, another thing I really appreciate about about hiding out that I think definitely stuck out more than last time I watched it is that the school, at least the school in the film has an incredibly diverse student body and it's never really, it's not something that's made a point of, but it's something that you notice. It was just a nice extra element that I appreciated on this most recent pass out, especially now that I've, I'm a, I'm a high school teacher. Uh, I don't just do this, but, uh, You know, being a high school teacher and thinking about the schools I've worked in and looking at the school in this film, I was like, oh, you know, this is a really it's it's a pretty cool school. I wouldn't I'd want to work there. Maybe not with that history teacher, but uh, everyone else seems pretty cool. (laughs) Uh, And I think that it reflected just the right natural diversity and demographics of Wilmington um, in that the background artists are all, you know, local high school kids hired. Cool. Uh, usually they do 18 and over, so they all look young. And, uh, and then Clinton, my man, Clinton, man, what a great part. Uh, the organizer, the man behind the man, mm-hmm. the campaign manager, the mover, the shaker, and the mover, the, she said like kind of Patrick becomes kind of accepted by the cool kids. I say I, he, he gets accepted by the fringe element. Mm. 
even the girl he dates is kind of goofy and nerdy. Uh, the one he makes out with him. Which Suzuki. is so funny. I love it. Oh, that. yeah. That was so good. The glasses. <laughs> see, her mom dated Mick Jagger. Someone really famous. She's like really famous lineage, by the way. Very cool. And uh, and I say that Clinton is an outsider in the way that he moved and is uh, counterculture and subversive. And he's like, yeah, throw a hand grenade in there. Let's get Max for president. Yeah. Well, something hmm. about the character of Clinton is is that when that came out, I was like four, but I definitely saw it uh, when I was as I was growing up because I think HBO just played it over and over and over again and. I loved the character of Clinton and growing up in a very predominantly white suburban town in New Jersey, for some reason, even still, the Clinton character really clicked with me to the point that like, if I'm taking a group photo, sometimes I will say, bust a move when they're taking the picture (laughs) instinctually, just because that character really stuck with me as a kid. And Dan, you're laughing, but you know, it's true. I know it's true. No. And yeah, because I'm like, that's the kid I want to hang out with. Like, I want to be in that crew. (laughs) Well, yeah, he's completely, he's extremely charismatic. He's fearless. He doesn't care what anybody thinks of him. He is his own person and everybody loves him for it. What was the name of the actor that played Clinton? You know, I can't remember. Damon, Daryl, I can't remember. Um, He grabbed the background artist they gave him as his friends. They go, here, these are your friends. (laughs) And any time that he wasn't working, so, and it's, you know, in high school stuff, we're moving around shooting a bunch of stuff all day. You're just called to just sit there for half the time. He's off and they're writing all of the rap songs. Which is so good when they're, you're all in the bath, when they are, when you were so, in the bathroom. Like, there may have been. It's so good. There could have been a rhyme or two in there, but um, maybe they looked at and went, okay, we're going to work on something for you and show it to you. And of course, that's what you see in there. And the editor and dialogue editor and music editor use that and their beats to do some transition. Patrick, it's not a rap song. Um, and they <laughs> edited them. So um, it's funny. I was there when they shot it, and I remember some of the raps being different or longer or whatever, and they edited it pretty well. And I love Patrick said his goofiest wearing like a cowboy Western shirt. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't get it. I don't. I mean, it was the 80s and MTV probably had a bearing on yeah, that. Yeah, you just reached down into your pile of clothes that's on your floor and pulled out whatever and yeah, it worked. I loved his set. That oh was my God. also built. Well, that, Patrick's as room. a kid, you see that room and you're just like, that's the coolest bedroom I've ever seen in my life. I want that. that yeah. <laughs> um, <and> right? Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, so just to uh, shout him out, Claude Brooks, Claude Brooks. As, as Clinton. Claude, thank you. As Claude. Clinton, yeah. Um, Claude Brooks, so funny, so great. Yeah, and and that rap, you you um, you know, you, you mentioned the, the rap with uh, with crying. And oh, yeah. like, that was also, that was my, I think my intro to that song. Like, I think that was the first time I heard Same. that song. So I kind of, I kind of instinctively kind of do the beatbox with Oh, yeah. I kind of do the Patrick beatboxing when I hear crying, which is not every day, admittedly. But when I hear it, the I'm soundtrack <laughs> and a music video for Hiding Out introduced everybody to Katie Lang right. with her Roy Orbison duet. And it also was another top 10 hit with Pretty Poison, Catch Me I'm Falling. Yeah. And then there was a Boy George, the Boy George song at the beginning credits was another top 10. There were three top 10 That's awesome. songs on the Hiding Out soundtrack. It was a really, really cool uh Cool. I love the other movies when they have an actual album yeah. final soundtrack. Yeah. It's a lost art. You know, yeah, hearing Catch Me I'm Falling, that that that's a song that I flash back to like to that year. 
<laughs> yeah. Very specific. You can smell the penguin, penguins ice cream, uh, uh, frozen yogurt. <laughs> like just smell the eighties. Oh yeah, the hair, the hairspray, the the cans and cans of of Aquanet. While definitely. we're t- while we're talking about hair, were you jealous that you didn't get a cool hairstyle the way that John Cryer did, with the bleach blonde on the side? <laughs> they d- to match John's brunettishness and his real mom, um, who's playing my mom. They dyed my hair brown, and so we mm. went for a rinse that lasted for the day. And so I'd go shower at night and it would basically rinse out. So every morning I'd come in and it took about a half an hour to do this dark brown rinse into my hair. And on Adventures of Babysitting, my hair is kind of dirty yeah. blonde. Um, they made it kind of red, reddish brunette. So, and then a wig on Don't Tell Mom the Babysitters did. So I was always getting life casts, wigs, oh and, my. And, and spending a lot of time in hair and makeup. For I would love to, you know, always changing my hair no, totally. Was, was really cool. Well, and the the wig in Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter is Dead just sells it so much. And then when you come out at the end all clean cut, it's, it makes such a uh, big moment out of it. But that that wig really worked for you. Did you consider actually going for that type of hairstyle at any point? I couldn't. I had just finished the cheetah and I'd had the crew cut. Oh, that was right after and it cheetah. Wasn't time to grow it out. Wow. Yeah. Man, you were you were busy. <laughs> and and to, if I'm Toy Soldiers Toy around soldiers that time around as well, right? yeah. yeah. Yeah, shot Toy Soldiers right after Don't Tell Mom, but Toy Soldiers came out first. Yeah. I, I'd i love to revisit Toy Soldiers, but I feel like yeah. it would just hit too close to home lately. They're not going to rush to remake no. that, but I did hear Queen Latifah is involved, and they're thinking of doing a new one. And I say make it an all-girls school. This is perfect. Whoa. Well, that's exactly what we talk about on this podcast. We all get a call from our daughters who are held captive, and me and Billy and um, Jimmy Trotta, who is Joey Trotta's twin brother. So we bring back Will Wheaton. Uh, we all go and we rescue the school with, with Giles and, uh, and George Perez and uh, T.E. Russell. We all come back and, uh, as adults and get our asses handed to us, and then the daughters have to rescue us. Oh, hell yeah. I second, I second <laughs> that. Oh, hell yeah. We have like, our back is out. Oh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Ricardo's got a little knee injury from soccer. He's like, I can't run, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> Y'all trying to like share medication, but like your dosage is different from Will's. And it's like, no, I can't. I can't do this. Like, I need two thirds of a pill. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's great. Oh, yeah, that's great. They need to drug one of the terrorists so they like snuffy. Come here. <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> yes. And uh, Hiding Out, which also ends with a a school incident with uh, with some guns from courtesy of, of the mob. I, I murder a guy with a spotlight, which I thought that's was really right. cool. That is badass. To, to murder a guy or help, at least, you know, accomplice helping John to murder him. And that was a wirefall they did with no mats oh, um, really? and so it was a wire to the pant leg and a harness and they put they looked like metal folding chairs and they had a ton of real ones around but the three or four where the false spot was were rubber and they huh. were painted shiny and they looked really real and you add the sound effect so when he takes that fall they can do a nice pretty long cut of you see him going down and into the chairs and i thought it was a really risky stunt but they measured the bungee cord perfect. It was like a, it was a bungee, it's an assisted ball, I think they called it. Well, anybody who listens to our pod, listened to the last few episodes of our podcast would know that we have discussed 
a, a network that shows movies that uses all practical special effects. And it would be like the FX network, but practical FX. So hiding out would go on practical FX for sure. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. No effect, no effect shot. <laughs> Maybe they comped the moon into one shot when John's walking home. I can't remember. Yeah. No, uh, no. I know James and Bob reboot when Kevin Smith tweeted that uh, giant James and Bob reboot had more effect shots than star Wars episode four, <laughs> a new hope. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> because of all the green screen. Sorry. That was a nice slide by plug for a reboot, which I have a cameo. Oh, but um, no, Hiding Out was all practical. Yeah. On this podcast, we talk a lot about, you know, reboots and remakes, sequels and prequels. And Jay and Silent Bob Reboot has come up a lot because it is a, a movie about rebooting of property. And uh, yeah. when I saw you pop up in that movie, I was like, hell yeah. This movie has officially been like gotten my stamp of approval <laughs> oh oh that's great th- i mean that's that movie thing. is full of those yeah full of those how, moments and, how did you get involved yeah, with I loved that it. my wife uh was getting uh, she was down for pop pops um george siegel's star signing she wanted george <laughs> siegel's uh, a picture with george siegel and kevin smith is there introducing him and she'd i think seen him met kevin before I hadn't. I had only seen him across the room at Smodcast mm. on Santa Monica Boulevard in L.A. There, he, he used to have a uh, Smod uh, podcast in theater. And after a screening of like a three and a half hour cut of The Shark is Still Working, uh, the you know behind the scenes documentary of making of Jaws, so he's got a crowd of people around him about three deep, and I'm across the room, and I look up and I see him look up and see me and give me a little head nod, just a little. Hey, what's up? And I was like, so excited. Oh my God, I got a head nod from Kevin Smith, but I didn't talk to him or bug him or anything. I didn't realize how gracious he is with fans. So years later, she's, uh, my wife is talking to Kevin and the, the picture. She said, my you know, husband's a real fan. You know, uh, don't tell mom. And he goes, I know exactly who your hookie is. He's like, dishes are done, yeah. man. And she's like, I can't wait to tell him that because he had the story of the head nod and stuff. And um, during his speech for the Walk of Fame, he gave a really inspiring thing about like doing it and asking for what you want and stuff. And so she says, why don't you ask him to be in Reboot? Because it hit the news that he was doing Reboot. So we got tickets to you know, um, uh, Hollywood Babylon and um, found him at the Improv and just went up and asked him. And we'd had little gifts and stuff like that for him. And it was a weird week, he said, because it was the week that Weinstein and the Me Too movement had grabbed onto Weinstein and uh, anyone associated with Weinstein, you know, tough, tough week. Yeah. Um, and uh, he, he, that day he had said he'd given up all his residuals for all the Weinstein movies and he's donating them to women in film. Um, so he's like, it was a weird week and he had security and stuff, but um, he's really happy to like get a gift. I gave him a dish, a signed dish that, you know, dishes are done, man, on the dish. So he, you know, they pulled me in front of the audience on the podcast, and, and anyway, down in, down when I was asking him, I said, "Hey, can I be in reboot?" And he goes, "You're in. You're in. You're in. You're in." He goes, "I we're like that's great." And I don't believe it until I, you know, I'm on the call sheet and I'm standing on a mark. Uh, in this business, you don't have the job until your second paycheck clears. <laughs> so you know, I'm always after so many years in the business, I'm like doubtful. We'll we'll see. And uh, he goes, um, you know, long before I was making movies, I watched a lot of movies. And for him, anyone who was in and doing it before he got into it, he, you know, he, he jumped on it. And, and, and uh, he, you know, he was cheap bastard, uh, Saban, 
uh, Sabaros, those pizza making mother, uh, they uh, didn't couldn't fly us out. They did manage to put us up, but um, you know, so he's like, we just don't have the budget. He's like, as long as you can make it to New Orleans, and I'm like, book my ticket. Let's do this. And got a great little cameo in there. So thank you to Kevin Smith. Yeah, it's awesome. And yeah. of course, he's a fan of yours. Like that was the time right before you know, right before he really started making <laughs> movies and. Uh, Imagine, imagine me at the premiere turning around to Tommy Chong yeah. and saying, "Hey, man, um, I'm also in the movie, and um, just so you know, I'm also in kind of like a stoner kind of." Mo-. He's like, oh, "That's cool, man. Great." He had no freaking idea, you know. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm trying to. It's like, I, 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 I it's so funny, well, it's so funny. I'm, I'm such a fanboy. Yeah. Too. So Diedrich Bader working with Diedrich Bader oh, was yeah. like, oh my god, this uh. huge tall talented improviser standing in front of me and yeah. uh, <laughs> along the lines of your your stoner role dan and i were talking before we started recording your role in don't tell mom the babysitter's dead you know it's implied that you and your friends are all stoners but there's never actually any drug use of course there is, is there uh we're in the bedroom and we're smoking a bong and we get we blow on elvis's face so oh, I oh that's right and yes. i pull up I pull yes. my mouth off of a smoking bong and I'm like, have Bob Barker help oh you. Oh my God, you're so um, right, of course. And uh, we're absolutely blazing. There's no question. We're passing a joint up at the roof. I remember things uh, being, it's been a while since I've watched that one, but I remember it being just being very smoky. But I think that maybe the last time I saw it, I was just so unaware of what actual drug use looked like. I credit like. it to, to Stephen Herrick because they had to completely avoid it in Bill and Ted. That's why we and were talking about the same director it. as Don't Tell Mom. Yes. So here he goes, you know, we're getting like a PG-13 so we can show it. But as long as we don't really lean on it and there has to be redemptive qualities, like it has to be a bad guy who then if later they become a good guy and give it up, then MPAA will allow it. And uh, so that's that's why so they were really um, on it with the punk and prick and um, – Hey, what are you queers doing with our car? Right. They changed queers to queens. I'm like, you know, holy shit! And they changed that to Liza. You can clearly see our mouth doesn't sync up <laughs> with it because they were they wanted to make sure they landed a PG-13, yeah, uh, and with with nothing over. And and that movie is yeah. a, a classic, probably because it got such a, a wide reach because of that rating. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, you gotta let the kids come in and buy a oh ticket. Oh my god, absolutely! I watched it a ton of times when I was when I was young. Oh yeah. So one other movie that you were you were not in this movie, but we talked on one episode about summer school, and I know that you were in the Comeback Kids with uh, Dean Cameron and Richard Horvitz. I want to hear a little bit about that because those two guys, in my mind, it's Chainsaw and Iki from Summer School. So. Tell me more about the comeback. Sure, I'm a huge fan of Richard, and uh, got to meet Richard before we wound up working on the Comeback Kids. And Dean, I'd known for years, and I probably had auditioned for something at summer school. God knows what, because I listen. I'd auditioned for ET and Goonies and Gremlins and Stand by Me and Christmas Story, and we all, you know, go up for our own things. So Dino, Dino's hard to read. He's got a very dry sense of humor. Now I had worked with Dean on. Did I work with Dean on the boardwalk? No, I worked with one of his friends on it. So I just kind of knew him around the town. He had done a ski movie, Ski School. And I'd worked with the same director, David Mitchell, when I did my ski movie, Downhill Willie. See, when you're an actor, you have to do a ski movie, a surf movie, a ninja movie, <laughs> a giant snake movie. So I got to, got to bang all of those out. 
<laughs> I actually did. Under the Boardwalk, The Power Within, Python, Downhill Willie, all fun genre pictures that are not pretending to be more than fodder for HBO and Cinemax. The good times. That's yeah. Hiding Hiding Out though had a theatrical release of about eight hundred theaters and did not make its money back. I think it made maybe two, three, four, eight mil. I don't know. It it didn't really do it. Then it had a video thingy. What happened was Dell Renis went into bankruptcy chapter whatever businesses do, chapter thirteen or whatever. And um so it was years before I saw any residuals on hiding out. Finally, SAG acquired something. They, re, they turned into a new company. Instead of DEG, they were DEGC. And when they reacquired, they owned negative, and then they had to pay back the past residuals that were owed on it. So I got paid. And um, every once in a while, I get nice little checks for, like checks like you could go to Denny's. Right. You know. Uh, but it's always cool to, to, to keep getting that. And now it's on digital. I get a lot of... Uh, my residuals are because of people uh, downloading it digitally or streaming. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of people that have been watching it that I follow on social media who are just now discovering it because of streaming, which is really exciting because it's always been part of my life for as long as I can remember. And uh, now everyone else gets to join the party. And it holds up. It yeah. does. Totally. It's it's incredibly dated, but it still does kind of make, I mean, you could just smell 87 on it. Um <laughs> Yeah, but what's what's wrong and, with that? Uh, there's a great look. It's shot well, you know. Uh, it's funny the thriller stuff was shot in thriller and just great, like lighting at night and rain, and and they make Boston look great and hazy. And then you get to the high school stuff, and it's this brightly lit, you know, teen romantic comedy. Yeah. yeah, there's no no movie quite like it. Although I know John Cryer did a lot of really risky plot wise movies dudes and uh what was the affair one where he's like the son of the president or something there was a couple of weird ones one. oh, Mor- was that morgan stewart uh or where that's it yes yeah. morgan stewart coming home yeah. and there was another one that was released in like the same week he had a little uh overexposure moment and, and we all do I, mine was 91 when um don't tell mom I um Toy Soldiers. Uh, what else? Toy Soldiers and Book of Love mm. all came out. Oh, yeah. oh, Book of Love. I haven't seen that in forever, but <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's a that's a cute that's a cute movie. And that'll like always that. hold up because it's a period yeah. piece. Yeah, the muse. Talk about and, a soundtrack. Yeah, Book of Love was directed by Bob Shea, who was chairman of New Line Cinema. Later, he directed Last Mimsy. Mm, um, right. He uh, it was he blended his. Mem- memories of growing up in the 50s in high school with uh, Bill Kotzwinkel, who wrote Jack in the Box, the novel that Book of... By the way, Book of Love was originally called Jack in the Box on the script, huh. based off of the novel. They changed that. They, we were going to be called The Great Pretender because we had the license for that song. Mm-hmm. And then they also got the license for Book of Love and wound up going yeah. that and have Bo Diddley do a new version of it. That had the soundtrack, cool. too. It's a great soundtrack. Yeah. I love period movies. Period movies are always fun. So I want to talk a little bit about just going back to hiding out a little bit, because what we do on this yeah. podcast is we kind of do the little brain exercise of like, how could this be brought back now? And a lot of the times it's like, shouldn't be. But if it was, how do we do it? And um, Dan, do you have any uh, ideas to kick us off? <laughs> um. <laughs> Well, I have one. That's oh, great, you have one. Go ahead, oh, Dan. Uh, go for it, Keith, please. Well, mine just the instant trope that 
you know, you know how old everyone is now playing high school. Yes. It's disgusting. And so you actually cast someone who looks younger than the people playing the other high school students. <laughs> That's a nice twist. <laughs> Some Doogie Howser looking mother yeah. you know, coming in there. Um, but no, go on, Dan, with yours. Oh, I don't. I like the idea of like Jacob Tremblay as a stockbroker who yeah. uh, ends up posing as a high school senior. <laughs> That's fantastic. He's like driving a Maserati with his hands like all the way up, trying to just steering <laughs> well, wheel. Well, I. <laughs> I think uh, they they probably hooked up, got married after school, but had to still remain in um, witness protection. Yeah. So that's where you start the movie is the first attempt to hit in the suburbs, wherever they live in the middle of nowhere, on John and his wife and kids. Hmm. And he's like, this is ridiculous. We got to move. We got to go somewhere. So we go somewhere. And you know what? He pretends to be a young teacher at a school. Adult education and flips it or something. Yeah, yeah. Adult. Uh, oh, that's so genius. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> oh, that's Full so circle. genius. Love it. Oh, that that is was so actually great. one of the and thoughts that I the, had. He's the one arguing with students about Bush and mission accomplished and blah right. blah blah. Like he's got a whole different take <laughs> on it Nixon. the eighties. <laughs> and of well, course, and, like if, everybody loved and of course, Reagan. Patrick would oh, have wow. to be like <laughs> the gym teacher or the principal or something. <laughs> Or not allowed within 50 yards of the school. <laughs> no. pa- Patrick Patrick is the school psychologist. Patrick has an ankle bracelet monitor for whatever reason. <laughs> and he's certainly got a breathalyzer on his damn car. Oh, Still uh, hanging out with Clinton. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Well, or the other way you could do it is where he's, if he's teach, he ends up teaching, but he has to be in a really conservative area and and the kids are like, no, man, mission oh. accomplished. And, oh, yeah. and he's like, no, that wasn't how it was at all. That's, <laughs> um, that's so great. Oh, that's really good. You know, just, so just he's, flip it. he's a liberal pretending he has to pretend to be a Republican in this town. That's kind of the mask he has to yeah. put on for this one. Like he's way. hiding to out. In, hiding. He's in like Missouri. He's in like whatever, central Missouri. Sure. Yep. Yeah. He comes up with some middle of the road ideas that are actually everyone can come together. They call him at once a socialist and a fascist oh, and everything. And some people want to put him up for city council, so he runs for city council. Clinton is, campa- is his campaign yep. manager. Clinton, Clinton is his campaign. He you know, just everyone shows up. The local town. <laughs> Nobody moves far from the East Coast. <laughs> Uh, that that was actually so my I, I was thinking along those those same lines though I was thinking of the idea of like a reunion uh, though every time I started to brainstorm about that it kind of brought me to gross point blank oh yeah and I immediately of, went there that's so true the the kind of the similar sequences so I think this type of situation where he's been in witness protection but you know they find him and he has to kind of go out on his own again cuz there's a you know there's a mole in the FBI so the FBI can't know where he is and he's where's the last place anyone's going to find me here's an idea to lighten the load on John so we only need him for about 2 or 3 days it's patrick gets in trouble and has to go on yeah. the run and witness protection and then he in the middle of it he calls gets a hold of his uh, I don't know. It's terrible. <laughs> Patrick Patrick has gotten so He's many... driving this old beat up Maserati from the right, original yeah. movie. His prized possession. <laughs> it's with Patrick, he's gotten so many moving violations that the cops are just after him to pay these fines and yeah. 
Oh, and he's gotten into low budget horror movies because he really was loved the decapitations. And... Yeah, once he got that taste for murder with the spotlight. Oh, and he's got all these hot girls, all these babes that he uses as like horror models and like just dumps blood on them and they won't come back and work the next day. So he just goes through all these different girls. <laughs> <laughs> what about continuity? I'm like, it's a new character. It's fine. I like yeah. it though. It's been reboot. It's been reboot. A, yeah, it's been long enough. He's gone. Yeah. He's gone through some it's things. Adult, yeah, adult education. That's adult so great. Education. There you go. Uh, done. Green yeah. light. I think that we've done our done. work here. Yes. We'll call Bob Bob Giraldi. Yeah. Is he around? Is Bob Giraldi still alive? I, he might have passed away. I don't know because a little. He was. We'll quite get a Pepsi older. sponsor. It'll be perfect. Yeah. Right. <laughs> call Katie Lang. We're back in business. Yeah. <laughs> Will that be cash or cash? <laughs> <laughs> so before we wrap up, I, oh, Keith is he's there. He's still with us. He's still with us. Oh, that's great. He's a Jersey guy. He's from Patterson. Oh, okay. Nice. 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 So uh, nice. Keith, is there anything that you've got going on that you wanted to uh, promote or talk about? Anything maybe that you are or even aren't involved with that you wanted to, to bring up? Oh, well, just hope everyone's safe and okay. And, uh, uh, you can um, now to me, me, me in my career. Uh, you got a Jane Silent Bob reboot on Amazon Prime, and you can get your DVD Blu ray where it is socially distantly acceptable to go get one. Um, I just did a series during quarantine called The Quarantine Bunch with some right. fellow former child stars. With a, or their former child stars a support group uh, is forced to go online <laughs> on Zoom. But we get crashed by a crazy stalker fan who kind of joins the group, um, Debbie from Tarzana. So, uh, and then uh, keep up with stuff, KeithCooganOnline.com. I uh, had a great audition the other day, still auditioning. They basically, Hollywood said, because uh, a lot of auditions were self-tape at home mm -hmm. and you send it in. And every once in a while you go into the room, they're like, we're not going to do go into the room really probably ever again. Yeah. Hollywood's going to move to a self-tape audition, like probably 100%. It's probably going to stay that way even after. Because, you know, a couple of years ago when the flu season was bad, there were signs of casting directors. We apologize, but we are not going to shake hands. Don't be offended. I understood they can't afford to get sick. They're on a ridiculous schedule. And so, uh, you know, I've been doing self-tape auditions, which is just, that's just crazy. During this, I still, you know, have opportunities for stuff. Netflix stuff that's shooting October or whatnot. I know Hollywood's eager to get back to shooting. Oh, I bet. But I'm glad that you've been able to uh, take part in something that's taking advantage of this quarantine time. And uh, I, I got to check that out. Yeah. Yeah, it's fun. Uh, I play Keith Coogan and, and he's not taking the coronavirus very well. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> he doesn't take the news. How can... Because we go through a couple of weeks. How can people check that out? <laughs> uh, go to YouTube. Uh, there's also... A, thequarantinebunch.com and uh, it's fun. There's about six episodes, maybe a couple of extras and uh, we do bloopers and all that stuff. I could be wrong, but did I see that you're also on Cameo? Is that right? I am on Cameo and uh, so you can find that on my website too or just search for me on Cameo and I uh, love it. love Cameo. Cool. cool. Yeah. Dan, I know that you're going to be on another podcast coming up. You want to talk about that? Yeah. So uh, probably uh, about the week after this episode is released, I'll be appearing on The Essential Lighter Side with Jay Casal. Uh, Jay, uh, Jay and I go back 
way back to to the college years to the late 90s and uh he's just an incredible person who's been bringing a lot of uh people's stories to the forefront and he's been his his idea is that everybody has a story to tell and and that should be heard by others so i'm really looking forward to talking to jay and sharing my take on things and you know my experiences Cool. I actually have one more story that I want to ask uh, Keith about. Sure. When you were doing adventures in babysitting, how easy was it for you to act like you were in love with Elizabeth Shue? It's very easy. And during rehearsal, uh, late December of 86, we started a two-week rehearsal process. And all the cast is staying in the same um, hotel uh, in Toronto. And um, we took a small break. New Year, Christmas, New Year's, and then we came back early January and started shooting like January 3rd or something like that. During the rehearsal process, one night after um, uh, rehearsing, I turned to probably five or six years my senior, Elizabeth Shu, and I said, Hey, do uh, you want to, you know, uh, get dinner and talk about, you know, characters and stuff, whatever? Wink, wink. Uh, sure. So she agreed to this. And so I met her in the hotel of the, of the, the uh, restaurant of the hotel that we're you know, staying at. And, uh, you know, we sit down and I'm just smitten with her and I'm just about to turn 17 in a few weeks. I'm still 16 years old and here she is at 22 or so. And I say, so listen, you know, we kind of are love interests in the, in the movie and, uh, uh, you know, I don't know. And, uh, you know, you know, how you feel about it, but like, you know, possible, maybe we could date, you know, during this. And she laughed in my face. That throaty Elizabeth Shue. <laughs> Whoa. She's like, you know, and basically that, oh, sweet child. She's like, I've got a boyfriend. Absolutely not. And I'm like, you know, that's cool. And, uh, you know, then the waiter walks up, would you like some appetizers? So I was just totally embarrassed, but also had to feel that. I had to feel that. I had to feel that re- that rejection. Mm-hmm. And so I could bring that later when she says, you're just a child or you're just a girl in love with an a-hole. Yeah. Um, so I could feel that when she's dancing with Dan at uh, the, the frat, frat party, yeah. I put on my, my whole crew, the whole crew, I turned to them and I was all pretty full of myself. We'd already moved to Chicago and quickly two months into shooting. And I'm like, all right, I think I got this. Chris Columbus was very good at helping me bring that shit back down. Sorry, I, I uh, cursed. No, no worries. That. I apologize. Not at all. Uh, and uh, that puppy dog look, uh, you know, all of that was pretty real. I'm kind of a method actor, even when it's um, comedy. I like to get into under the other actor's skin. I like to get to know them as a performer too, but also as a human. And then I like to pull stuff on camera that gets them and gets a real reaction. And especially if my character is one of those button pushing people. So I'll always kind of go math a little bit. I snuck onto Christopher Daniel Barnes's uh, balcony when shooting an episode of Starman because I was the bad guy, you know, and he was the new kid in town or whatever. And uh, just to like not scare or intimidate him, but I love it. I don't know. I'm a weird kind of method actor that way. So yes, I had a huge crush awesome. on Elizabeth. Well, in uh, in the words in the words of Bradley Whitford's license plate, that story is so cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out. I'm done. That's it for me. Nobody leaves this place without singing the blues. <laughs> yes. Oh yeah. I watched it last night just because I was like, I just need to get. 
get it all baked in because we're I don't think that we're gonna cover Adventures in Babysitting, at least in this nineteen eighty seven chunk of episodes. So it's like this is kind of our chance to talk about it a little bit. And man, it's so good. Another, oh, you know, other iconic line don't fuck with the babysitter. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Thor's a homo. Yeah. Um, yeah. Get in the car and run him over. Vincent D'Onofrio, by the way. The <laughs> oh, Holy wow. cow, Vincent D'Onofrio <laughs> is so good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he is great. He never broke character and was very foreboding on the set. I think he's Stella Adler. Uh-huh. Yeah, he's very, very in character, very, very menacing. I believe it. That was just six months after uh, Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. So we lost That's all right. the- That's uh, great. Gomer pile weight and uh, got ripped up and they oiled them and used makeup and uh, lighting tricks and, you know, total wig under the hat. Oh my God. Of course. uh, That was a great six hours that I worked with Vincent. (laughs) (laughs) It was a lot lot of fun to work with um, uh, the truck driver, with the tow truck driver. Oh my God. He's um, so good. Who, you know, he's crazy. He's a playwright. Now I'm spacing on his name. He had wrote a couple of white chicks sitting around talking the day they shot John Lennon. Um, very cool uh, laundry and bourbon. Um, he is like his brother played the original Dollar Hyde in Manhunt, the original Manhunter. Whoa. Um, oh, um, with Billy Peterson. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Oh, uh, is it Tom Noonan? Tom, that was. Yes. Yeah, so Tom Noonan and John Ford Noonan are brothers. Yes. Very cool. Oh, very cool. Yeah. I'm sitting there watching Living in Oblivion and up pops Pruitt, handsome Pruitt. John Pruitt. I'm like, oh my God, there he is again. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's so cool. Yeah. Well, he was great. He was great in uh, Adventures in Babysitting. He yeah. whistles a little music, and I think it was either from M or some other ancient movie. And Michael Kane and the music supervisor, all of a sudden you hear the orchestra going from what he improved whistling on the set. So John had a great impact on that That's movie. Great. His spirit is fun. You know, we had reviewers like Siskel and Ebert and um, uh, people trying to turn it into a race thing and these white kids and it's white flight and scared of inner city. They're like, this is code for racist stuff. And we got a negative two for someone's review wow, and then got blamed for having a rainbow colored gang and yet all, you know, a black audience and the blues bar and, and the fear is based on this whole thing. And, um, I thought that, uh, of course they're right. And we know it, this is what we're kind of doing with this movie. So we had, uh, we had a lot of fun doing it. I have to say adventures of babysitting was, I said this in one interview and my wife's like, that's a good quote. It was truly an adventure to yeah. me. Mm-hmm. A huge, big ape, you know, treated like the biggest budget, one of the bigger budget movies I've ever worked on that toy soldiers, cousins, don't tell them the babysitters dead. We're all, you know, Mm -hmm. all the trucks, all the lights, all the studio support. And, um, yeah, we went snuck around on opening night, uh, the cast and Chris Columbus. And we went from theater to theater to watch, you know, the blues bar sequence or to watch the L train sequence. We'd sneak in, listen to the audience, see how it's playing. And then hop in the limo and then go to another theater. <laughs> oh my God. That must've been so cool. <laughs> so fun. So and Chris fun. Columbus, what an amazing director to work with too. Mm. Oh, he was amazing. His directorial debut. Yet he has this pedigree of having written Goonies, Gremlins and young Sherlock Holmes. Right. Get, get down in the dirt. Uh, never talk down to the kids. Uh, never. He was one of the kids. Didn't try to take over the set. 
we had the wonderful Rick Wade, who also shot um, Great Outdoors and just a legendary uh, filmmaker who knew how to wield a Panavision and give you that nice 80s look. First day, he's like, turns to Rick, how do you think we should do this? And Rick's like, well, come down here. We're going to put that in there and crane here and a big 12K there. And he goes, great. How much time you need? Two hours. He goes, great. And it was never, ever any fight between him and the technical part of it. And he was very good at communicating to us. And he had one thing. Chris wanted it grounded and fun, but real. He didn't want it crazy or, as he said, over the top. So anytime we did a take that was a little too zany, he would say, OTT, cut, OTT. That was over the top. Back up, keep it grounded, keep it real. Oh, that's the thing. I think the biggest conflict in the movie isn't city kids. I mean, um, suburb kids and the city people or you know, racist stuff or crime or whatever. It is uh, sane people versus crazy people. Mm. It, they're loony. The movies Christopher Columbus had us watch were Arsenic and Old Lace. What's the horse racing um, Marx Brothers movie? Oh, Horse Feathers? Duck Soup, Horse Feathers. Horse Feathers. And uh, we had to watch After Hours. Scorsese oh, nice. and oh. Griffin Dunn. Now, After Hours yeah. is the same plot it, or same thing. It takes place all in one night and he comes back where he started. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the movie, I think, is based on Ferris Bueller. Hmm. It, all, it had been developed for years, but I think David Simpkins had mentioned that after seeing Ferris Bueller, he goes, well, that's a great you know, format, and we'll do the whole thing in one day. Start at the house, go out. We've got a French restaurant scene. Yeah. We've got a musical sequence. We've got you know, all these kind of beats that they hit, and we'll just beat the parents home in time. So it's got that similar kind of Very Ferris much Bueller's so, vibe. especially driving mm-hmm. home, trying to get, beat the parents there. Absolutely. With the added element and no of magic. Yeah. yeah. And but life it, and death. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it also it has its own spirit to it that it's yeah. very I don't know. It, it sets itself apart in a lot of ways. Well, strong female huh. protagonist. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Uh, well, of which I was familiar with uh, yeah. <laughs> after and by the time I don't tell them all the babysitters that I'm like, I really appreciate that um studios keep giving the same budgets to the female-led movies and the same, you know, there was really no, it was just who's a star, who's high on the list, whose management company is working with what agents and what studios. And um, uh, I, I, I do agree that the films could have been more diverse. We're catching on to that now. So I, you know, I do know they're remaking Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead uh, with a uh, diverse cast and filmmakers are like, let's get the cameos from the original cast in yeah. there. So trying to get every, get everybody together for that. Oh, that would be great. That'd be awesome. You know, GAW is still open. <laughs> and, uh, of course, Rose and Swell are working there. Oh, my God. Of course. <laughs> Kenny, Kenny's it. delivering edibles. He's delivering cookies. edibles? <laughs> Does he have, like, his well, own bakes. dispensary? And <laughs> He bakes, so he's got a nice little... Well, yeah. Nice little bakery shop. Well, uh, or he's um, uh, an event planner. Because doesn't he, at the end, become kind of the... Oh, right. He's like the event planner for the big show in the backyard or whatever <laughs> of that impossibly nice house. <laughs> here's my here's my CFO, Hellhound. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and the dishes are done, man. That's all. That's all we know. Dishes are, the dishes done. are done. The interview is yeah. done. Well, hey, thank you so much for hanging out with us for a bit and telling us some incredible stories and talking to us Thanks, especially guys. about hiding out, oh, totally. which we. Now listen, I could talk any movie anytime, not just mine. Um, 
and we can zing off onto, you know, they live and boom, we're done for two hours. It's going to be, they live. So, um, any movie we could pick. And I was raised on clockwork orange and the sting oh. and jaws and the exorcist and French connection. Yeah. And, you know, I was raised on, uh, those kinds of movies. And, uh, so I really, i took the last of analog Hollywood, directors in the 70s through to the 80s that glossy great spielberg feel into 90s and more independent stuff and uh, now we're all online and uh it's pretty democratized extremely online with uh oh the quarantine bunch it's evolution you guys watch high maintenance high maintenance oh high maintenance is so good yeah Mm-hmm. He had a great moment. He's backstage at the drag show, and they go, "Elizabeth Shue, what are you up to?" <laughs> <laughs> we talked about high maintenance on our "The Long Goodbye" episode. Oh yeah, yeah. Ooh, I love the long. Goodbye. Yeah, because uh, oh, I was God. thinking that Ben Sinclair would be an awesome um, up for the for like an updated version of that. Yeah. Oh, you're killing you're killing me with long goodbye. <laughs> I was an Elliot Gould fan, so like Capricorn One and, and stuff like that. Yeah, big, so good. Big fan of, of the Gould. Love the Gould. Oh, yeah. Is he California split too or no? Yeah, no, no, yeah. No. Gould yeah, yeah. and uh, Siegel, George Siegel. And Siegel. Yeah. Uh-huh. Coming up again. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate the talk. Very cool. Appreciate the hiding out love. Hey. We we, we just want it to spread. <laughs> the, the well runs deep with the hiding out love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, Dan, do you want to let everyone know what we're going to be talking about on the next episode? Yes. Well, I don't need to tell you that we're it's 1987 and well, we're, it's 1987. It is. Ni- welcome back. It is 1987. You know, not a whole lot's different, um, except that we're not quarantined. But uh, if we were going to to the movies, we would be going to see Throw Mama from the Train. I am so excited. And- I can't remember... I can't remember the last time I saw this movie. It must have been early 90s. It's been a while for me. I mean, it's one that I'll put on because it, it always seems to be streaming on at least one service. So it's one that I that I might sometimes throw on uh, in the background, but I'm really looking forward to just sitting back and enjoying some some prime, well, I, I, some prime Billy Crystal. Danny DeVito really has been in his prime and uh, has always been in his prime, still is. That's right. Yeah. So, so email us ruinedchildhoodspod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, ruinedchildhoodspod. Check out podlisacastomy.com. And that's where you can find out all the ways that you can get in touch with us to participate in podlisacastomy. And thank you again, Mr. Keith Coogan, for joining us. Well, cool. Well, nice talking to you guys. Yeah, and good journey. Good journey. A good, good journey.
calling all cars, calling all cars, be on the lookout for a white male Caucasian, age, unknown. <laughs> this is President Maxwell, coming to you live from the Oval Office. And I don't have a pass. Teachers, where are your passes? Where are your passes? <laughs> 